0: This is the best of Sports Channel 8, the radio show podcast. Part of the Capital Broadcasting Podcast Network. Now here's the best of today's Sports Channel
1: 8, the radio show.
2: Josh Goodson, the first thing that you can talk about before you pick up lunch today is Duke basketball. Losing a couple players from the roster. Not totally unexpected. The first was Duke's Trey Jones announcing he's going pro. He was the ACC player of the year and the defensive player of the year. The third team AP All-American Trey Jones announced this weekend he's going pro. Josh, my question for you is, you know when we do NBA comparisons, like, oh, this guy, he plays like this guy that's currently in the NBA or this guy that we used to. Is the only NBA draft comparison we do for Trey Jones Tyus Jones? Like, that's it, right? He's got to be compared to Tyus Jones. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> Unfortunately for him, I think you're right, Hayes. And it, Well, the good thing is is that Tyus Jones has actually worked out well, too, in the NBA, right? Like, if he had not worked out or had not been playing well, we would be sitting here comparing him to someone who is not good. But at least his brother's playing well, right? Yeah, he's a, a solid
2: backup point guard. I think could potentially blossom into a um, a starting point guard. But average about eight points, four and a half assists per game. And, yeah, I think that's – we'll talk more about Brian Geisiger. He knows kind of how to place those guys. But I think certainly – um, a solid backup point guard. And remember, when you're talking about backup point guards, starters are guys like, you know, Steph Curry and Kemba Walker. Those are starting point guards. I see Trey Jones is sort of one step below that. Could could be a starting point guard if, if an offense had enough things around him. Obviously a strong defensive player, uh, but most likely going to start out as a backup point guard uh, in the NBA. Um, there was no, like – Obviously, the the year was interrupted. It's going to be weird how all these announcements are going to be made. But like, nobody was expecting Trey Jones to come back. That you were hearing, were you, Jess Goodson? Uh,
0: I don't think so, especially because he was the guy, wasn't he? He was there last year, right? Yeah, yeah There was. Talk- he, he, it was like, and I think it's one of those things where if guys usually, if guys make that decision where they can come back and and like improve their stock or, or whatever they do. Very rarely do we see them stay for another year. Yep. And if yep. they do stay another year, then things just went terribly wrong exactly. the year that they ended up staying. So I, I don't think, I mean, I'm sure Ben Swain can, can, you know, can tell us more about it in BG, but I think Duke's going to be okay. It just going to shock you a little bit. Like they've got, <laughs> uh, let's see, I'm, I'm looking on 24-7 right now. They've got, oh, a five-star point guard coming in, Jeremy Roach. Um, oh, a five-star combo guy coming in, DJ Stewart. Um. So yeah, D- Duke will be fine, I think. But um, no, I, I think I, I'm not surprised that he went.
2: Yeah. Um. Yeah. I, like you said, the sad part about it is after his experience last year, you got to think one of the reasons that Trey Jones came back was uh was to try and have more success in the NCAA tournament. Um. And obviously, as was the case with many people, he did not get the chance to play in that NCAA tournament. The other Duke news from the weekend: Alex O'Connell entering the transfer portal, obviously that in theory allows you to return to Duke, but he says he's opening his uh, recruitment and appears headed elsewhere. That one, uh, not as much of a expected thing, I guess, as Trey Jones leaving, but uh, the same thing, as you mentioned, all the folks coming in, that's become the the numbers crunch, if you will, at Duke every year. We've seen some guys, you know, Derek Thornton, I know, was one a couple years ago, uh, transfer out if they – Maybe don't see themselves fitting in the scheme for next year when they look at uh, who comes in and they make that decision. The only thing interesting I, I think about Alex O'Connell is six foot six guard played in uh, 101 games, um, averaged about five points a game this year, two rebounds per game. Uh, Duke this year saw some guys get some bench time. I mean, late in the season was Justin Robinson. Jordan Goldwire is a guy who you know was not recruited along. Didn't have the same headline buzz as the five star guys, but has worked has worked his way worked himself into being a regular starter, regular contributor. There's part of me that would think maybe Alex O'Connell would see that and say, "Hey, maybe there is a place for a third or fourth year player here who knows the system and plays hard." Um, but but again, it is a numbers game, and Alex O'Connell maybe still wants to to prove to people that he has. Uh, pro potential and would like to go somewhere where he knows he'll be you know getting 30 minutes and whatever it is 10 15 shots a game so any surprise for you there at alex o'connell leaving
0: uh no surprise on alex o'connell leaving but but hayes you're you're leaving out the biggest story of the weekend duke did not get seth towns from harvard (laughs) it's okay the grad transfer seth towns you know this get, he's the be- he was he was ranked the best grad I mean come on the, like the, he's right, the best this, grad transfer who cares We
2: need to have a new segment or staple of the show called is this actual sports news or is this only sports news because we don't have sports right now? Because, yes, Seth Towns was talked about as if he were like the next Zion Williamson. They're like, he's going to announce. Where's he going to go? Is it Ohio State? Is it <laughs> And I was like, who is this guy? And he's coming from Harvard? He can't be that good. I-, I have no doubt that he's great. But I'm with you. We need to have a running segment. Is this actual big news or is this just big news because we have no other sports news? And the first thing we need to do is come up with a better title for that segment because that's way too long. <laughs> but, I, but I'm totally with you in the, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I know that Center just did a 10-minute segment and teased this in the lead, but is that actually important news? Or is it merely because you guys didn't have anything else going on? I suspect that might be the case with Seth Townsend, who uh, did, you're telling me that, Coach K wasn't, you know, apoplectic and breaking things because he didn't get Seth Townsend a la Harrison Barnes. It it didn't go down like that.
0: Yeah, I mean, maybe Coach K's lost his step. Like that that's the only thing I can, <laughs> can think. If he if he can't can't secure Harvard grad, grad transfers. I mean come, this is ridiculous. Yeah.
2: Elsewhere in the ACC, Elijah Hughes of Syracuse declared for the NBA draft. Um all, Elijah Hughes needs <sighs> to- Oh
0: God. Elijah Hughes. I mean Syracuse might go open thirty four next year, according to Syracuse people, because Elijah Hughes is The gift of basketball. That's all we were told whenever NC State went up to the Carrier Dome and beat Syracuse. Well, they didn't have Elijah Hughes. Well,
2: that is... It it did help. He was
0: Whatever. Time for the end zone. Touchdown, (laughs) Wolfpack. It
2: was their biggest piece of offense. The other thing that you need to do uh, if you want to get the most out of Elijah Hughes is um, before every game, remind him that he wasn't... I forget what it was. Dan Dockage kept referring to it. It was either that he only got seven votes for ACC player of the year or like wasn't high enough on the ACC first team all-ACC because as he and Syracuse were thrashing UNC in the ACC tournament game, I guess the final ACC tournament game to be played this year, they just kept talking about how Elijah Hughes felt disrespected and that's why he was going off. So whoever drafts him, just make him feel disrespected and you'll get the most out of Elijah Hughes. Um, That is some of the ACC news. Other big news, things that you can talk about while you pick up lunch, is Canada dropping out of the Olympics. Now, that might <laughs> not. I yes, are you laughing just because I said that's big news? No, it was just.
0: I think it's. I think it's the right move, and I think they're they were just like the first person to like to do this, just to get almost to get out in front of the story that's eventually going to happen. But yes, I heard it, and I was like, "Does Canada even?" Win medals at <laughs> right. the Summer Olympics, like and maybe they do. Actually, I should probably they probably do. Actually, let me let they're, me look at. This.
2: They're big enough that they win some medals, but now uh, to your point. The International Olympic Committee has said they are giving themselves four weeks to come out with an official decision on this 2020 Olympics, and they have said that cancellation is off the table. Right now, they say yeah. this. However, I've learned a lot in the past week or two weeks, Josh Goodson, and one of the things I've learned is. Don't take anything off the table. Anybody who says we won't be ta- we won't be canceling we won't be postponing they may not know what's coming. So I'm not taking canceling off the table but the International Olympic Committee apparently is but this is almost the equivalent of the ACC tournament you know when Swafford was weighing a decision to make but then all of a sudden one of the factors was hey Duke just called and they said they're not coming and they're not playing at two o'clock. That's what Canada just did, and that's what's going to happen to the International Olympic Committee. Now, to your point, Canada is not Duke basketball of the ACC, right? That would be like the United States or Russia or Germany. They would be a more power player calling the Olympics and saying, we're not coming. But Canada is not a nobody. I'm putting them as like maybe the the pit of the ACC. I was going to
1: say the Virginia. Maybe Canada Virginia. had,
0: so I looked it up, Canada had 22 me- total medals in the Rio Olympics, four golds, a lot of bronze medals.
2: Where did that place them uh,
0: in? 20th, as, right ahead of Uzbekistan <laughs> as far as golds <laughs> and Kazakhstan. Yeah,
2: I think Virginia may be giving them too much credit. I think they're Pitt. They're big. They're big. They matter. They have people. But ultimately, they're not like, competing for the top spot. <laughs> so yeah, Pitt called to the ACC and said, we're not coming. So it it won't. The IOC won't cancel just because Canada does this. But the question is, Are the is the tail going to now wag the dog? Are the countries going to tell the Olympics, no, you're not going to have the Olympics? Um, Canada have said basically they're not sending Olympians this year, but they would if they postpone until next year. So that's the next – it's kind of the last sports thing – that we haven't seen move at all, right? Mostly because...
0: The next the next one, I, I guess we haven't seen move yet, or would start to get into fall sports, right? right. Yes, yes, yes. Like football. Yes. Uh, to an extent, or, or football training camps. I know they just announced over the weekend, I think that the NFL draft, for a while there, I believe when all this news was coming out, they had mentioned that the draft was going to stay in Vegas. Yep. Like they were still going to host it in Vegas, but not have people there. But then I think they f- kind of realized... Uh, what's the point of having it in Vegas if you can't have the people players there or people? Right, right. So I think they're going to do, I think they're going to do it from a studio. Um, that's a report. This came out it hasn't been official yet, but I think it's coming out today. Um, but no, you're right. Like, I don't, that's about it as far as like sports that were scheduled to happen. And then in the four, in the, in the Between next the spring three and to six months. Yep. Yeah.
2: So we'll see what happens with the Olympics. I would bet on them. Definitely not happening this year. Um, we'll see. But, again, it's, it's the Olympics aren't something you can just pick up and say, oh, we'll just do it a year from now. There's just a lot that goes on into it.
0: But, Where, um, who, who has summer in, like, January? Can they uh, move, it to, uh,
2: move it to a, like is, a, a is, South American like country?
0: A, yeah. That's yeah, right? Brazil just had it in 16. Don't they have, like, a lot of the stuff? Like, they probably got – the stadium's ready, and they still have a bunch of the marketing and stuff there. You could just throw it in, in throw Rio, the I would Olympics. assume. It also, yeah.
2: much like a lot of other things, we'll see what this temporary issue changes for long-term planning. Like this could be the thing that moves the Olympics to say, you know what, let's just set up a stadium, a pool, and a track in Athens, Greece, and just do the Summer Olympics there every year. You know, this could be the thing that pushes us to do just much like we're being pushed into telehealth. Where a long time, doctors have said, you know, I could just meet that person via connection and, and, and do some of this assessment, but nobody ever actually did it. Now we're doing it because we have to do it. Um, that might be the case with the Olympics. For a few cycles now, I've seen people say, instead of building these things for one Olympics, let's just build a permanent Olympic spot. We'll see if that goes down. The final thing that you can talk about at lunch today is NASCAR. Woo! Getting it done. Hey, why is it called iRacing and not eRacing, Goodson? You're my NASCAR guy. I kept wanting to say eRacing, but apparently it's iRacing?
0: Maybe they were trying to piggyback off of, of like, iPad. Maybe. Like, interactive racing? I have have no clue.
2: No idea why it was iRacing. But Denny Hamlin got the win yesterday. And Jeff Gordon, and is is it Mike Joy? Is that the other commentator? You would know these things. And I, I wasn't, like, I don't mean this as in, like, making fun of them, but, like, they were taking this thing seriously. Like, they were asking them. <laughs> they were like, man, you had the outside okay. line, you had to worry about they wrecking
0: Jr. I can't, I, so on the list of things, I couldn't tell, like, what was the most, like, ridiculous thing they took serious. So they had those two guys. <laughs> right. They had Michael Waltrip reporting as a pit, like a own track reporter from Denny Hamlin's living room. <laughs> They had a preacher give a pre-race prayer. Got to. They you got to. They ha- they, got had the to. Guy- they, ha- they had a guy videotape singing the national anthem in front of his garage. <laughs>
2: It was amazing. I will say if you like good the
0: at- only thing that the only thing they didn't they should have I, I don't know. I, I'm surprised they didn't have like somebody videotaping like a mobile home park or something <laughs> right. like right. showing like this is the infield. Yeah, and- they should
2: have some fans like, you know, they they should have some fan cameras just like sitting out there in their uh in their um lawn chairs just like cheering them on. And the, do we have the uh the audio from the, the how the race finished? We do not. All right. Um but, but yeah, I mean they they treated it like it was a um
0: the question the question I had about watching it all cuz I did watch a good bit of it is if if a, if a if a if a the setup for a virtual race is is as good or maybe even some for some reason better than the actual product is that a good thing or a bad thing Yeah
1: yeah
2: uh w- is it bad that we could just you know do your sport without actually having you there Here's what the end of the race sounded like <laughs> <laughs>
0: They all but come together,
1: and the winner is Hamlin. (laughs) Wow, what a race. Wow, what a a race. Yeah, those fans should be cheering. They saw a heck of a race. What? Who? What fans are cheering? Well, the, are you... the,
0: the the and another thing, just like regular NASCAR, it's like Dale Jr. didn't win, but he had to be up in the in the in the front, <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, yeah, because yes. there used to be all the conspiracies of like, oh, Jr., you know, he's got to be up like, there in, in the top five or have a chance yeah, for yeah, ratings. Like Dale Jr. finished second. They
2: interviewed Denny Hamlin after the t- <laughs> the race, and he sounded it was dead serious. It was like, man, you had that outside line on two and three. I mean, I won't I won't get it right. and I don't know the language. Did he
0: list off? Did he list off his sponsors? No,
2: that was the one thing that I felt was missing, and and the only other part, apparently they were racing for charity, and the winner yeah. had to like pay a charity a bit. So, so they were like, Denny Hamlin, you win, get out your checkbook, you get to write write a check. Like wait a minute, you got to at least give him some token thing that looks like a prize before he has to give it away. Like give him some trophy. But but yes, to your bigger point if we can basically do this and fans are entertained and no driver's lives are risked and they can just sit in their basements and do it. Like I, yeah, to completely echo your question, is that a good thing for your sport or a bad thing for your sport? <laughs> it was interesting. Nonetheless, the other thing about, uh, race cards in general, because you know, the hardest thing with sports games is to make the movement look a hundred percent fluid, like make arms and legs and heads move in a natural way. But a car, you only got to turn the tires, right? Everything else basically yeah. stays the same. I, You know, I pointed to my girlfriend. I pointed out the TV to my girlfriend. I was like, yo, can you tell that that's a, a video game? And it, she had to sort of double take and look at it closely. I'm like, oh, yeah. When asked specifically, can you tell the difference, she could. But in just walking around the room when I had it on, she just thought she was watching a uh, a NASCAR race. So.
0: Did she get mad that you were watching fake sports?
2: Um. She, she definitely did not get mad. The The issue definitely came. I, I may sometimes stay up later than she does, and my excuse is often that there are sports. And so yeah. I did get asked what my excuse was when there were no sports, and I did not have one. So, um, yes, <laughs> that is life without sports. Over the weekend, specifically on Saturday, I didn't really watch the games that were on Sunday. Those weren't as uh, appealing to me. NC State. UNC and Duke were all aired in classic NCAA tournament games on CBS.
0: And Villanova, 2016. No reason. I
2: said I'm skipping Sunday. The question, all three of these games had interesting endings. 1982, UNC over Georgetown. 1983, NC State over Houston. And 1992, Duke over Kentucky. We will debate all three of these separately. The question today... Was 1982 UNC lucky or good when they won the national title? Here to defend, lucky is Josh Goodson. UNC just getting lucky to win that game. What say you, Josh Goodson?
0: So Hayes, we can talk about the specific game of the Georgetown game because we all know that was lucky. I mean, come on, Fred Brown, <laughs> what are you doing, guy? Like we can, we can get we can talk about that exact game, but let's. Let's actually start out with just this whole tournament. Yeah, I know UNC finished the year 32-2. and Yes, it's a pretty good record. All right, that's pretty good. Here's some stats from the 1982 NCAA tournament. You ready? Yes. Number one, North Carolina did not win a single game by more than 10 points in that entire run. Take that data. That's (laughs) not a good team. That's lucky to win that many single-digit games. Be better and win by more points, okay?
2: Okay, that's actually a decent point. Number two.
0: Only 48 teams in the field. The next year, it went to 52 total teams. Ooh, so ooh. a limited fi- a limited field event, you got to <laughs> think, if there was actually more better teams in it, North Carolina I, might have had to play well. A couple fair. more. I can go all day. Let's go. The second one, the, or the next thing, UNC's first opponent. Actually, let's just do this. Murder, listen to these murderers row of <laughs> opponents UNC had to play. Nine seed JMU. I mean, yeah, yeah. It's yeah, that's, yeah. That's a
2: quality Duke squad right
0: there. Four seed Alabama. You know <laughs> Alabama basketball. <laughs> oh, right. let's keep going. Villanova. This isn't like the Raleigh Massimino, Jay Wright Villanova. It's just Villanova. Yeah. Woof. Houston. Hey, come on. Woof. Come on. Houston was good. They were good the next year. Georgetown. Yeah, that might have been the only good team they played. So, H- hayes Permar, I get their thirty-two and two. I think it was a little inflated because they didn't have to play any real teams practically the entire NCAA tournament. It was more jerks. impressive that they won the ACC. But uh, right. yeah, just just not very good. You had to play JMU in your first game, and you only won by two points. You're not good if you do that.
2: UNC was good. First of all, did you see how good Patrick Ewing was? And he had he was flanked at all times by like three other seven footers. Now, it may not have been the best strategy to tell Patrick Ewing to goaltend every single UNC shot that got put up there. I don't know if you watched the first half. Like, UNC didn't make an actual field goal until like 10 minutes of the game because Ewing goaltended like the first four of them. But they have future NBA Hall of Famers, Michael Jordan and James Worthy on the team. Worthy looked like he should have been... Even better as a pro. I mean, he was the one guy who, when they could get the ball in his hands, he seemed like he never missed. You're trying
0: to make the case for a team being good by how they did, de- had they ended up being pros. I, w- uh, I don't know. I don't know if I buy this one, Hayes Permar.
2: And I will say this, Dean. Maybe develop a bench. Like the entire run of the NCAA tournament, I think they said up to the finals, there were like four points scored off the bench, and the rest was by starters. There were some dudes that came off the bench. I don't even remember this one guy's name. Somebody will call me. He looked like he was drinking beers on the sideline. He had this great 80s mustache. Looked like he was like 29 years old. Looks like he was a, a highway patrolman, and he just came off, and he was the seventh man for UNC. Um, so, the bench was a little bit shaky, but the UNC starters Sorry, playbook. We're still good. Worthy good, Perkins good, Jordan good, Jimmy Black good. The Tar Heels were good. Not lucky, that's what I say. Do we still have uh, our jury... Jury member Will on the line. If you if you want, you can give us a call eight six zero five eight eight six zero five three two six to serve in the jury. Although we have to have an odd number, so we may only have one if we don't get all the way up to three. Will, who made the better argument? Josh Goodson, UNC was lucky, or me, Hayes Permar, UNC was good. Which is it? I think that
0: I think that UNC was lucky. Oh, yes.
2: Unbel- all right, did you actually listen to the arguments or did you call in with a preconceived notion in your head?
0: <laughs> no, I'm I'm actually a big UNC fan. Okay. I think that UNC was lucky. You know, Josh just brought all the stats. I just don't think it was a well-formed argument that they were good. Will... A, a self-aware will, UNC I, I, fan. Un, Whoa. <laughs> Breaking well, news. Will, you... Uh,
2: Done great work, even though I lost. You nailed it. I mean, Josh brought more stats, had a good argument. And a UNC fan saying they actually got lucky. Hey, man, we appreciate you listening to the show. Yeah, of course. The jury has spoken. He didn't say he loved the show. He didn't know that was a traditional part. You're, you, if you're new to the show, you anytime you a call chance, a radio Will. show, you, you got to say love the show. Will? Hey, I, I love the show. Hey, Dad. there he is. We'll do this every day. Was UNC 1982 lucky? Tomorrow it'll be 83 NC State, 92 Duke. I can't believe Josh Goodson just out argued me. <laughs> I didn't really. They only beat James Madison by two.
1: At a time when I was uh, flirting with whatever mild rebelliousness I had, <laughs> sure. all my friends absolutely like. I mean, that's that's like an old an old spring break. Like we would be watching uh, on spring break. Uh, you know, down at Sunset Beach, in in the big house with all your high school friends, we'd be watching that DVD on <laughs> repeat. And then that night, just all night, I'm hearing no, oh, Chip, no, don't do it, Chip, don't do it, no.
2: Yeah, yeah, I get it. But you know what? At the time, don't do it was probably good advice. Whatever they were yeah, telling, no. you, <laughs> whatever they were telling you not to do. <laughs> That's probably good advice. Um, let me start here d- uh, by asking you this. Uh, at the risk of completely ruining all momentum for the segment, if your answer is no, did you watch any of the classic NCAA tournament games over the weekend that CBS aired?
1: Yes. Uh, I watched the beginning of North Carolina Georgetown, and then when they broke away, so did I. Yeah, yeah that was kind uh, of so annoying, I didn't, yes. I didn't actually get to come – I didn't like, come back in. I j- jumped back in for – uh eighty three, uh, NC State Houston and uh was loving Terry Gannon, giving a little bit of uh sort of live play by play and, and everybody sort of uh everyone acknowledging that Terry Gannon both then and now is a snack, you know? And he's just <laughs> he's just a good looking dude. Getting it done. So yeah, Terry uh, Terry Gannon. Uh, didn't didn't catch any of Sunday though.
2: Um, yeah, I also – I skipped Sunday's games. They weren't as interesting. You are blown away. It's one of those things where, like, you, I try not to be basketball snob when I'm watching them and be like, oh, my God, these guys, you know, aren't very good. But it is sort of mind-blowing, and I'm interested. When Brian Geisker joins us tomorrow and to talk some more about it, like, just, you know, the the packed back zones and just the – the offense just passing it around, basically trying to get one guy, one shot on one certain part of the floor instead of having like multiple options. Like UNC, it seemed like, all right, if we can get worthy in the shot a shot in the lane, we're taking that. Anything else, we're looking for a better shot. And of course, they had no three-point uh line to stretch the defense, but it is just it's funny watching basketball now in an era almost 40 years old. It reminds me, if it were nineteen eighty-five, we would have been watching games from nineteen. 19- 45 and 1948 at these throwback games it'd be understandable for to look a little bit different
1: i loved in the pre-game run-up uh you know w- watching all the high fives and yeah, you know, that yes. was, i was like parker was right there with me so we got like a lot of commentary on people watching in the crowd we were looking at press row and she was like it's where's the computers there's nothing but notebooks and briefcases That's out true. there yep. but the this one uh I did not know, and I haven't studied the details of that 1982 championship run. You know, I, don't, I don't even read any books on it. Sure. But in the pregame uh, previews, I believe Musburger said that North Carolina had gotten all of its scoring through that point in the tournament from its starting five except for six points yep yep
2: i said the exact same thing
1: bench points are you kidding me like that the the way that we talk about uh, ncaa tournament teams now you know the way that the big story about that 2015 duke national championship team you know uh like writing the big number on the whiteboard like we would have been going crazy about the lack of depth Uh, On that North Carolina team, and then when when Coach Smith did start putting in the subs, I was like, "Oh, I I know exactly (laughs) why." There is (laughs) a huge
2: (laughs) drop off in talent right now. Like develop a bench, Dean. Come on, get some depth. But no, it was um uh he's escaping my name right now. Buzz Peterson came off the bench and he looked like okay. He looked like a you know nineteen twenty year old basketball player. Whoever that dude was that came off the bench with the 80s uh, Super Troopers mustache and he looked like he was 35, do you know what I'm talking about, for you I think he was
1: from New York because he, I was trying to remember whether, whether, like, that was – because wasn't that the old, uh, like, McGuire had established yep. the pipeline to yep. New York and Smith came in and, and kept – uh, going back there, I mean, like I think Jimmy Blacks from the Bronx, for example. Yep. But like, yeah, when that when that dude came in, I was like, ah, no, 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 we got to get him out. Nah. We got to call timeout. We got to get breathers. Let's get Worthy and Perkins back in. But when they went into that zone defense, it was funny because the commentators like, oh, here's the zone. <laughs> like it's the one move that no one can stop. But yeah, I mean, you flash Worthy into the middle of the paint, get a little jump pass to Sam Perkins, and. Just kind of grind your way. I and mean, that whole game was just a grind yeah. of a basketball game.
2: That one dude had a beer gut. I swear to God, he was 27 years old and he had a beer gut. Hey, a uh, couple other things. Right now, we should be, we're in the time of the year where every weekend we should be having a spring game, basically, right? This, you know, Alabama's would be like, late March or maybe like April 1st, that's like the prime date to have your spring game, and then everybody else is sort of a week or two after that or a week or two before. Some schools go way early. Did did Am I right in saying some schools completed or at least had their spring college football practice and others may not have even started?
1: In the ACC even, I think there's a huge disparity. Uh, the, the ones that I have sort of zeroed in on that like wake forest in Miami among a couple others had gotten almost a third of the way through their work. Like they, they had started in late February and they you're allowed 15 practices during spring practice. And they I think they'd gotten through four or five. And when you think about, Wake Forest replacing Jamie Newman. You know, obviously they've got Sam Hartman there as a a good option, but, you know, there's still a lot of pieces that you've got there that you want to make sure you're settling into place. I think that that was significant. And at Miami, where you've got the former Houston quarterback, Derek King, coming in, uh, new offensive coordinator, uh, a real need for a spark, the the people down there around that program feel like that was a big advantage to get a couple in. You know, in fact, I think almost the entire ACC – uh, had gotten in at least the first couple sessions before the ACC suspended uh, all all athletics activities except for two two teams, Hayes and uh, and it, it's it's UNC and it's Virginia Tech, two teams that I think are going to be popular picks to potentially contend for the ACC Coastal Division title. Right. Uh, I think that on. It was supposed to be March 17th for the first spring practice in Chapel Hill and uh, ACC suspended athletics on March 16th, so they were one day short. And then Virginia Tech was supposed to start the following week. So all those teams, not only in the ACC but across the country, that had been working on a schedule where – you really don't even get started till after spring break, yep. uh, and you don't have your spring game until mid to late April. Yep. All those teams are, are going to be, you know, about four or five practices short. Now, how much is that? How much work could have been done there that may or may not be lost? You know, by the time we have all of this long layoff, I thought that Mac Brown uh, had a good comment actually in a story that Dennis Dodd wrote on CBSSports.com, mentioning that basically the one of the things that you are looking for when you're recruiting is you're looking for players who just have good habits, you know, good workout habits, you know, they can, they're self-motivating. And he said the, the guys that are good workout guys, the, the guys that have been never had to be told or dragged to the gym. Right. Those are going to be the ones that are, are going to be able to keep up as much as possible, and the players that you have on your roster that might need that extra motivation and might need that extra coaching, they are absolutely going to fall behind whenever uh, teams are allowed to reconvene. And do you think that this will – that there
2: there will be a lot of things after w- whatever we're calling this, the public health crisis of 2020. You know, Obviously, there will be the short-term like, okay, how do we get back up and going again, and how do we – how are we going to dole out practices and let teams, you know, all that stuff. I, I, Nobody has any guess as to how that will work. But do you see, we also have the, what long-term effects will come out of this, like things that will start to be put in place, like in case this ever happens again. Do you think that, A, teams, and I don't know why this would make a difference because something like this, It's hard to guess when it would have occurred, whether it be February or maybe not until April or whatever. Would you guess that teams will alter their spring schedule and start to go early for fear of, like, missing out if other teams get to practice? Or do you think there's a chance the NCAA could, like, close the window or maybe mandate more, like, everyone's got to have their spring practices within these two weeks just to keep it more fair? Or do you think they'll still be allowed the same autonomy?
1: I think that they'll still be allowed to move it around because it's it's always been a, a matter of flavor. The NCAA restrictions are on the number of practices and the number of hours right. that that you can spend having different kinds of instruction. And so that I've always thought that that is a very in the weeds and I guess the word would be wonkish aspect to trying to figure out how to plan your college football program yep. because you know I I was never in favor of the idea that you would do 5 to six of your practices, let the kids go on spring break, and then expect that you're going to be able to have the the same amount of focus and the same amount of retention that you had if you're able to to line them all up. Uh, you've got other programs. I mean, do you remember what was that like? 2009 or 2010? You and I are over there at Durham uh, yes, interviewing yes. Uh, David Cutcliffe yes. at Duke, uh, and he says, you know, while, while Alabama is Sleeping. asleep, we're we're getting ready for uh, to go and you know whip their tail, and I I like the idea that there is that flexibility, and I don't think that this is going to have a major impact on the the way that spring practice is going to be laid out. The big concern that we have heard from coaches is trying to understand you know when things are going to get started and and sort of what the the rollout is going to look like. How do you adjust to a world and the across the board? the most optimistic view seems to be that we're not going to have spring practice. Like it's just done. We're going to come back and we're going to jump right into fall camp. How do we figure out how to take all those lessons and all the install and all the teaching that you were going to do in spring and fall and pack it all into fall camp. I think that that's where the coaches want to make sure that there is uh, some fairness that across the board everybody is getting started for the season at about the same time but even then it's very sobering to hear college football coaches who you know live in their football bubbles and and very infrequently are acknowledging a world outside of the football one uh, to say look and and we are optimistic that we might be able to return for example august 1st and get started with fall camp so the you know the idea that um, You know, college football is safe or football is, you know, safe or quote unquote safe. I, I, I definitely have in the last week changed my mind on that. And I take the position of those coaches. I am optimistic and I am hopeful yep. that that is the case. But even then, that's going to be a monumental challenge. Uh, for this coach and coaches across the country
2: we mentioned this earlier as we talked about the olympic news but yeah basically after the olympics which is kind of on people's mind now what's going to happen to it like fall sports start coming up i know it's march but fall sports start coming up a lot faster than people think and uh, that will be the next thing that we begin to talk about is how those schedules will be altered i'm with you with hope and optimism um, that we will still have them all right Everyone tunes into Sports Channel 8 for the primary reason, the number one reason that people come to Sports Channel 8 is to hear us talk SEC quarterbacks. That's, I mean, we, you know, that's what we're known for. It's our bread and butter. We do it all the time. Quickly, Jared Stidham is basically the presumed starter right now in New England. They signed uh, Brian Hoyer. But my question to you is, can Jared Stidham be an NFL quarterback and more importantly, can he be the New England Patriots starting quarterback uh, or will they make another move?
1: I think he can be, and I I look at him as somebody who I I thought fell short of expectations at Auburn, and um, you know he was he's one of those guys who came up on the recruiting circuit, and if you put him in an eleven on if you put him in a seven on seven, or if you put him in gym shorts and a, a skinny little top, you right. put him in the elite eleven camp, he's going to look great. He's going to have all the throws, and he looked good at Baylor for the brief time he had before he got injured. But a man, by the end of his time at Auburn, I believe, based on not no sourced information, but I, I thought he was a little bit banged up. So I do think that there's a limitation on whether Jarrett Stidham can be the a long term answer for the New England Patriots. But I also know that being the Auburn quarterback that isn't exactly the the most exhilarating experience, the way that Gus Malzahn runs what I like to lovingly call a uh, putt-putt gimmicky offense. Right. You know, where it's like you're not, you're kind of asked to just work within whatever his little mad scientist brain is doing. And I think that put in a pro-style system, somebody who showed all of that raw talent at the age of 17 and flashes of it at other times in his career, if he can stay healthy, then yeah, absolutely, he can be uh, a serviceable quarterback for a Patriots team that you know had Tom Brady in terms of the name but was really riding its defense for a lot of its success last season Ooh, Brady system guy Chip Patterson you said it not me um all right we will
2: see if Jared Stenham is the New England starting quarterback when things uh actually crank up in the fall or if oh I don't know you know Cam Newton or somebody like that ends up there
0: You've been listening to the Best of Sports Channel 8, the radio show podcast. Don't forget there are many ways you can listen to this podcast, including streaming at WRALsportsfan.com, the WRAL Sports app. And you can also subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Pocket Casts, and TuneIn. This podcast also drops every weekday at noon.
1: Thanks again for listening
0: to the Best of Sports Channel 8, the radio show podcast.